Well, let's get into the word this morning. Are you ready? Anybody know what today is? Oh, see, you cheated. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> you guys are supposed to wait till I, no, I'm teasing. I didn't tell them to wait till I asked the question, but it is. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. They're going to help us and put it up on the screen up there, but, uh, and you can follow with me. But I want you to think about this. On May 4th this year, that when the first Sunday of every month, we have communion. And on May 4th, as we celebrated communion together, the Lord just really impressed for us to remember that we have a covenant with God. When we're taking and, and holding the emblems of communion, the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are remembering that Jesus paid for our salvation. He paid for our healing. He paid for our de deliverance, our redemption. Every area is already paid for. Amen? And we have a covenant that is still in full force today. And so why do we remember? Because we just need to remind ourselves, wait a minute, I don't have to be putting up this stuff. I have a covenant with God. Amen? And so it's so important. But there's two days that are, that, that are the greatest days in history for the church, and I believe really for humanity. And the first day is Resurrection Sunday that we just celebrated Easter. And, but it's actually not Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday. But actually then the other is the day of Pentecost. The two most significant days to the church in the history of the church and really in the history of humanity because on the day, on Resurrection Sunday, God raised his son from the dead, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and paid the price for every person to be saved and delivered from their sins. Amen? Salvation came to the world, available to whosoever will. But on the day of Pentecost, God said, no longer am I just going to put my spirit on one or two or here or there. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So the promise of the Father came. And so it is a significant day. And this morning we just want to touch on it and pray together here at the end. Look at the cover of your outline, just this first statement. And then we're going to read. In Christian tradition, Pentecost is an important event that marks the shifting of God's redemption empty purpose from the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to all peoples. The biblical narrative of Pentecost is given to us in the second chapter of Acts, so we're going to read it. Look here in verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. I like the suddenlies of the Bible myself. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. Somebody say each of them. And so, now let me just back up because we get a lot of pictures and, and it was something that sounded like wind. It sounded like wind rushing in there and it looked like fire sitting on their head, but their heads weren't on fire. All right, just a clarification there, all right? And then verse 4 says, and they were all, somebody say all, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Verse 6, and when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear them each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and other parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Christians and Arab. I mean, there are a lot of different people there. Amen. Hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. Listen to that. They were declaring. So what's happening is the whole church is being baptized. Everybody in the church, the church at that moment, at that time, was 120 people in the upper room. The Holy Spirit fills that room on the day of Pentecost. And the whole church, somebody say the whole church, began speaking in tongues out loud together. And nobody was interpreting. I'm just sticking that in right there. Amen. But what they're doing is, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're declaring the wonderful works of God. How many know praise is directed towards God? And so here they are, they're praising God, and all they know is that this anointing has come upon them, this outpouring has come upon them. They have no idea that people are listening to them. They're not each preaching. They're just up there preaching, and they're, and they're so loud, or, or praising, and they're so loud in the middle that people are overhearing them and say, man, what is this going on? We're hearing them in our language. Praise God. Amen? And so it's a marvelous thing. Verse 12, so they were all amazed. And perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Whatever could this mean? Verse 13, others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Now let me just say something. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, it comes to the things of God, there will always be mockers and scoffers. Amen. But what you want to do is just don't worry about them. They'll always be with you. Don't worry about the mockers and the scoffers. Go for the people that are hungry. Amen. Verse 14, Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my word. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Or in other words, God is keeping his promise and fulfilling his word. Verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour my spirit out on a chosen few. A special select. Amen. No, I'll pour out my spirit on what? All flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see vision, your old men shall dream dream, and on my maidservants and my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those states. That means God didn't distinguish by gender, age, or class. Amen? Status of any kind. And they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. Verse 20, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. How many know there's a day coming? Amen. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Think about that. What do you have to be do, do to be saved? Call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to by God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. And you yourselves also know him being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it's not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord... the. 
I foresaw the Lord always before my faith. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades or hell. Nor will you allow your Holy One to seek corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You shall make me full of joy. In your presence. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, would be would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, who God raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the promise. He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heaven, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus. Somebody say this Jesus. I like where Peter keeps saying that. This Jesus just keeps reaffirming the Lord. That this Jesus... Um, now I lost my place. <laughs> Therefore, let all the house of Israel know show that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were all cut to the heart, convicted in their heart, and said to the Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brothers, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, what? Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter said, this is what happened. You're going to repent, you're going to be baptized in water, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. How many know that repentance brings salvation? Amen? So he said, you're going to be saved, you're going to be water baptized, and you're going to receive the gift or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off off as many as the Lord your God will call and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation then those who gladly received his word see there's always the gladly there's always the scoffers and the mockers but there's always the gladly amen and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfast in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in breaking the bread and prayer then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles now all who believe were gathered together and had all things in common father i thank you this morning in these next few moments on this day a day we remember the outpouring of your spirit the day of pentecost 50 days after passover father we pray for clarity for insight and understanding in our lives in a greater measure than ever before and somebody said Amen. Praise the Lord. Go back to your outline if you would. And we're just going to go through this quickly. So just to give you some foundation and then get to our ending here. Peter's sermon in Acts as we read. He stresses the resurrection and exaltation of Christ. 
In his sermon, Peter quotes from Joel and from Psalm to indicate that the first Pentecost marked the start of the Messianic age. About 120 followers of Christ were present, including the twelve, with Matthias as Judas's replacement. Jesus' mother and other female disciples and his brothers were also there. Think about that. How many know God is no respecter of persons? We need to remember that. So according to Scripture, while those on whom the Holy Spirit had descended were speaking in many languages or other tongues, the Apostle Peter stood up and proclaimed to the crowd that this event was a fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 17 is there in your outline. And in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon every, I like this translation, every sort of flesh. I like that. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dream. He also mentioned that it was the third hour of the day, about 9 a.m., indicating that they were not drunk. So think about that. People like to find a way. Everybody's always trying to find a way to, uh, uh, to, to talk themselves out of the blessing of God. Or to somehow diminish that. In fact, last night as I was just finalizing my notes, I was getting ready to go to bed. And I, and I felt the Lord just, just say this to me. The devil is the great reducer. He wants to take everything written in the Word of God and reduce it down to nothing in your life. Don't believe for this. You can't have this. He's the great reducing. God is a God of increase. Everything God does, when He comes to you, He increases. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? I have come that you might have life and have it less. I've come so you'd have a, a, a worse life than you had before. Amen. Sometimes, I, I think sometimes we forget that. That Jesus said, I've come you might have life and have it what? More a more abundant life. Too many times we end up like hee-haw Christians. How many remember the old hee-haw story? They used to get together and say, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Most Christians get together, they talk about their gloom, to despair, and their agony. Wait a minute. We are born again. We are redeemed. We have a covenant with God through the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's poured His Spirit out upon us. We're filled with the Holy Ghost and with power. Amen. Amen. We should never be a people of gloom and despair. Never decrease what God increases. Never decrease what God increases. In Acts 2.41, then the report said, then they, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Somebody say harvest. That's what they had. They experienced holler. Now, harvest. Now, if you look up and, and do some study on this, you'll find that critical scholars believe some features of the narrative are theological construction. Or they say when they did the translation, they wrote that they, they, they took some theological liberty, liberties and added in some things that actually did not happen there. But scholars have a, as a whole believe that even if the Pentecostal narrative is not literally true, it does signify such an important and significant event in the history of the early church which enabled the rapid spread of Christianity. From the day of the outpouring of Pentecost, Christianity exploded onto the scene and the horizon of the world. That one day, 3,000. 
thousand souls were added to the church. And within just a short time, by, you, by the time you get to, to chapter 6 in the book of Acts, the church is almost 20,000 strong. And then from there on the day of Pentecost, many of those that got saved were from other regions as we read. And here they are getting saved and they're going back home to these other regions and they're taking the testimony of what Jesus has done to them. And the church has just gone almost, if you would, virtually global in one day. Amen. Through this one event. Isn't God good? So within just a few short decades, important congregations have be, had been established in all major cities of the Roman Empire. Or in other words, Christ was building his church. Think about that. So Peter affirmatively stated that this event was the beginning of the continual outpouring that would be available to all believers from that point on. Jews and Gentiles alike. And the church has been caught up in the diminishing or the decreasing of the things of God. We even have uh, doctrine today that, that all this has gone away. It has all passed away. I go back to this. You know, the, 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 the Bible wasn't canonized until after 300 A.D. The church existed for 300 years without written scriptures. In the hands of the church. It thrived and it flourished throughout the whole world. By one thing. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the word of testimony. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. By God's word not being able to be carried around in our hand. But actually become a living word in our hearts. Imparted, spoken, and then received through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then it becoming like James said. James wrote and said, receive with meekness the engrafted word. Receive the word in such a way it becomes engrafted into your life. And so, you know, Paul couldn't go and say, hey, open your Bibles to my letter to the book of Romans. Amen. You couldn't read it. They couldn't read the book of Acts. They couldn't read the account. And so we have this great thing. But because we have this, we don't want to give up the necessity of relationship with the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? So think about it. Pentecost is tied for you and I. Pentecost, to understand, is tied to the celebration of Shavuot which in Hebrew culture carries a double meaning of significance. And this is powerful. I want you to get this this morning. It marks the all-important wheat harvest in the land of Israel. Or in other words, you can read it in Exodus 34, 22, and 23. But it talks about the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Harvest or First Fruits. And it came 50 days after Passover, they would begin counting. And then secondly, it commemorates the anniversary of the day that God gave the Torah to the entire nation of Israel assembled at Mount Sinai. Fifty days after they came out of Egypt, they met at Mount Sinai and God gave them the living law. It's amazing correlation. Now, watch this this morning. Think about it. The holiday is one of... Shalosh Regalim, I'm probably butchering it, but that's as close as I'm going to get. Three biblical pilgrimage festivals. It marks the conclusion of the counting of the Omer, and its date is directly linked to that of Passover. The Torah mandates a seven-week counting of the Omer beginning on the second day of Passover to be immediately followed by Shavuot. This counting of days and weeks is understood to express an anticipation 
and desire for the giving of the Torah. And so Israel said, and they're being told, God is going to meet with you. And they had anticipation that they were going to go and meet with God on the mountain. And God was going to give them direction and clarity for their lives to live by. He's going to give them a signature of identification in their lives. And the church, the book of Acts, tells us that they were told. And in Luke chapter 24, it tells us, Jesus tells his disciples, Hey, you go and wait and tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. So the same way they were waiting for the Torah to be given and for the law to be given, the church was told to wait for the Holy Spirit to be giving. Think about it. On Passover, the people of Israel were freed from their enslavement to Pharaoh. On Shabbat, they were given the Torah and became a nation committed to serving God. The word Shabbat literally means week, and the festival of Shabbat marks the completion of the seven-week counting period, again, from Passover and between Passover and Shabbat. So maybe you're asking today, what's the significant correlation between the Shabbat and Pentecost for us today? Let me give it to you. Number one, like Israel, Jesus is our Passover. We have been delivered from the slave from the slavery to sin, from from slavery to sin and through and that came to us through his atoning sacrifice. Secondly, the same way Israel was as a nation was giving the written word and the Torah, the living law. How many know God's word is alive? It is, it is a living for them. It is a living law, and for you and I, it is a living law. And what is amazing is that God, what He did before what we have, what we call the New Testament, was ever canonized and recorded and, and put into written form and gotten into our hand, wasn't even printed till the 1500s. Amen. Made available through the invention of the printing press. Before that, it had to be hand copied. How many know if you went to Kinkos to get a copy back then, it took a day or two. <laughs> Amen. But so, but but what God does, He takes this. Is what I'm doing is I'm going to add my anointing and my spirit. My people have my word. Now I'm going to give them also my spirit. They're going to be complete. Can you say Amen? They're people of word and spirit. Hallelujah. So in the same way Israel received the living law by Moses, the church has been given the living spirit, and He, the Holy Spirit, is our teacher and our leader. Look at John. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. John chapter 14 and verse 26 says this. I went all the way to Matthew. Hallelujah. No wonder I'm reading it going, why isn't that recognized? I'm too fast for my own self. John 14 verse 26 says this, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Say this with me. The Holy Spirit is my teacher. That's who he is. The Holy Spirit has been, he's been given to be your helper and to be your teacher. And then in John 16, verses 11 through 15, I want you to look at this or 12 through 15, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them or hear them now. However, when he, somebody say he, 
the spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Tuesday night, I preached a message on the voice of the spirit. The Holy Spirit has a voice. Jesus said he's going to come and he's going to be talking. And you and I, God ordained that his church, his people, would be a people of his voice. In the beginning of uh, of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, you hear the account of the voice of God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God created man to be a man that hears his voice. You were created to have a living relationship. That's why uh, uh, Joy Bauer, whatever her flaking name is on the view when she made fun of of uh, God bless her darling heart and her stupid head anyway when she made fun of Mike Pence for saying that God he hears God's voice and then began to ridicule and make fun of our vice president for being a praying man and a man who wants to be led by the spirit of God she just shows how foolish she is are you listening to me and so in dealing with that but but God created man to be people of his voice And so he pours out his spirit, and the Holy Spirit is here to teach us. He has a voice and to speak into our life. Verse 14, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, and he will declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit has things to declare to you. And it's important that we learn how to open our ears to hear. That's why when Jesus would preach, and that's why it's written to the church, let him that has ears to hear, hear. It is so important that we have ears to hear the voice of the Spirit. Can you say amen? So watch it. Point number three. Israel was to be led and directed by the living law given to them 50 days after the Passover. But the church is to be led and directed by the Holy Spirit given to them 50 days after the Passover. The Holy Spirit is to the church what the Torah is to Israel. Hear this. God's personal signature of identification. I like that. The Holy Spirit is God's signature of identification. God gave the nation of Israel His written word. He wrote His word out for them, wrote it on stone with His finger, if you would, and gave them His written word and gave them their identity. They were people of the word. Amen? That their God wasn't just a statue they had to carve out or stones they had to stand up or a tree that they had to, you know, refashion. He was a living God and they had a living voice and he was calling out a people who would live for him. God today has given us his voice and the purpose is always harvest. So we are people of word and spirit. Can you say amen? See, there are certain things that we should never forget. We're called to remember and to keep them and to pass them down from generation to generation. We recently celebrated communion, remembering the body and the blood of our Lord and the communion we have with Him and in Him. Excuse the covenant we have with Him and in Him. In fact, it's awesome to see Matt here this morning. Four weeks, just two, three weeks ago on May 4th, he was homesick. And, and Barbara came up and stood in for prayer for him. And right after we prayed for him, his whole condition began to turn around. 
So he's here today, and God has changed. And, and so I said, what's the report? Said so I went to the doctor and said, well, it's not what they thought it is, and they don't know what it is. So he is the healed of the Lord. Can you say amen? Why? Because the body and the blood of Jesus still work today. Amen. amen. We have a living covenant in him and through him. <coughs> Excuse me. Pentecost calls us to remember the promise of the Father, that God is keeping His Word to every generation since that day. He is still pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. Today is a day of outpouring. Amen. So think about that. The covenant sealed in the body and blood of our Lord is still in full force today, and so is the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. Amen. The Holy Spirit. You know what? I'll tell you what was sad for me is that when we took our first senior pastor, and you've heard me tell the story, but when we took our first senior pastor, we took a little church, that, that, and, and, and their whole philosophy was that they, they had a fundamentalist background, but they didn't believe that, that the Holy Spirit was for today. They had, people had been raised up their whole life believing <clears throat> that everything had passed away, that because now we had the printed Word, we no longer needed the gifts of the Spirit. We no longer needed the baptism. None of that was for today. So I'm like, man, how, how much of your Bible do we just tear out because it's no longer applicable to us today? It's no longer relevant. It doesn't have anything to do with our life. And so then they get this guy that shows up, and I just go, hey, I just still believe it's all here. Amen. They go, well, what happened to you? I said, well, did you? I, said, well I know this. I know I have a Bible experience. I know what I've experienced is in the Bible. I know the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I began to speak with other tongues, just like the Bible says. Amen. And so I just said, I told them, I said, hey, I am not what you are, but I don't want to make you what I am. Let's do this. Let's just open the book and begin to read the book and just go with what the book says. And they said, okay, amen. And I found out, you know what? Most Christians like the Bible. If you get them to read the Bible, they'll believe the Bible over what they've been taught. If you can get them to believe God over what they've heard, God always wins out. The Word will always win. Can you say amen? The Word of God always wins. So next thing you know, we got people in their 50s and their 60s getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, giving messages in tongues in church, interpreting messages in tongues, prophesying. I'm going, this is awesome. Amen. They wanted to run me out of town over rail, but I'm not that easy to get rid of. Hallelujah. Amen. In fact, my pastor would call up and go, hey, have they killed you yet? I said, no, we're just having fun. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, the Holy Spirit is for everyone. In fact, one of my greatest, the, I, I had two really families there that were really amazing. And, and, and one was Bill and Helen Graham. And when we came there, they, they were a retired couple. And just the sweetest people you'd ever met. He was raised missionary Baptist. If you ever do any study about, uh, about different denominations, missionary Baptist is very, uh, a very closed area. They just believe in, uh, uh, they're a, uh, uh, kind of Calvinistic in their theology and once saved, always saved and all that. But they believe unless you're baptized in their church and in their faith, you're, you're, not, you're not valid. Your salvation isn't valid. And that's a very exclusive in an area like that. Don't believe in anything about the Holy Spirit. Next thing you know, he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. His wife, Helen, was raised Christian scientist. Next thing you know, she's saved. 
She was, Helen was awesome. She was my, she was my buddy. She was doing the, the finances there and running the books and stuff. And so we'd been there about four or five months. And I said, hey, guys, it'd be awesome if we could update our sound system and, and, and maybe get back and then have a member cassette tape. I said, well, we'd get some cassette tapes and be able to record messages and we could copy them and people could listen to them over. And so the good old farm boys that I had there were, can't you just get one of them Radio Shack things you can put up on there? You know, you kind of push the button and record yourself, flip it over and stuff. I said, come on. <laughs> I said, we can believe for better than that. And so here, here's Helen, my little Christian science lady. After the board meeting, she takes me over in, in the side. And she says, Pastor, she says, I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you go buy whatever you want and I'll pay for it. I said, yes, amen. Hallelujah. So we got a brand new, brand new system and uh, started making tape. And Helen got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Amen. So let's do this. See, the Holy Spirit is here. He has been poured out upon all flesh, as we read in Acts 2.17. He's being poured out so that everyone, somebody say everyone, who comes to Christ can be able to experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit. With the infilling comes the gifts automatically. I need the worship team to come back. I believe this. I believe it's just time for us to agree with the Holy Spirit, with the Word, and with the Father. To walk in the fullness of His promise to us. We need to understand that if the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit were not for every person to be a partaker of, then it would be wrong for us to discuss them in this manner. It would be wrong for Paul to write to the whole church at Corinth and ask them to desire and pursue spiritual gifts. If the Holy Spirit were, were only for a few, then we should move on to something that is relevant and applicable to our daily life. But the truth about the gifts of the Spirit is God wants them to work. And they will work and do work in the lives of those who desire them. This is the most relevant and applicable truth to our daily lives. We are to be people of the Spirit. Amen. Fifty days after Passover for the nation of Israel, God gave the living word. Fifty days after the resurrection of Christ and our Passover in Him, God gave the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. We put the word and spirit together, and we are people of word, and we are people of power. Can you say amen? God is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh. His promises and His declared will are declared. It is His promise and His declared will. We are at a moment in time in history when more than ever before in the history of humanity, the power of the Holy Spirit is to be poured out. In these last days, there are to be the greatest days of power of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon men. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be left in some dry corner of religion. I don't want to be left there. I want to be living in the flow of the river. This is the hour of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the prophecy in a greater measure than ever before. In John 16, 13, we read about Him speaking to us, leading and guiding us and showing us things to come. I believe we're living in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And it's separate and different from the previous dispensations of God dealing with man. There was innocence, conscience, human government, promise, and the law. Now we're living in the dispensation of grace 
of the Holy Spirit. And hear me, we can expect His movements to be greater in His own dispensation than ever before. This is the time of the Holy Spirit. And this is signified specifically for them. How was God interacting with His people? By His Spirit. We can expect to see Him move in greater measure than ever before. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 tells us that we are recipients of a gift. And the Bible says we've been made stewards of the manifold grace of God. So what does that mean? A steward is a distributor, not a consumer. Stewards don't consume, they distribute. Can you hear me this morning? We distribute. I believe that anything that has been given to us was given to us from God to share. God does not dig holes and bury things. God doesn't put His Spirit in you just to leave it there lying dormant. God fills you with the Holy Spirit. He says, hey, you need to wait until power comes upon you. And then when power comes upon you, you're going to be enabled to be my witnesses. And you're going to go into all the world. And you're going to share what you've received from God so that you're going to be a steward. I'm giving that. You're going to be a house. The word steward literally means, if you look it up in the Greek, it means a house distributor. One who's been given management over a house and then distributes those goods out to those in need. Are you with me this morning? God does not dig those holes, especially for the precious gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every gift and every increase that comes into our life from God is for giving, for sharing. In order us to flow in the fullness of what God has for our life, we must become great givers. Hear me this morning. Become a giver. Give away. Look at what Peter said to the man at the gate. Beautiful. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Come on. You are filled with the same Holy Spirit. You got what he got. We just have to believe. We've been told we don't have it. We, we can't walk in it. All these other things. Like I said, the devil is the great decreaser. God wants to increase your life today. The Holy Spirit has been choked off by a consumer spirit. He must be released by givers, not just received by consumers. As we give, we receive. Those who watered are watered themselves. As we give out, we receive back and more in abundance. So it is with the gifts and ministry of the Holy Spirit. They are all seed to sow, not treasure to bury. I encourage you today to become a sharer and to share everything. The deeper I can place the foundation of this truth within you, the stronger the tower of your faith will be. And I want you to be very strong. Would you agree this morning? I want you strong in the Lord. So what are we going to do? Today's Pentecost Sunday, so today we remember. First of all, if you're here and you're not born again, you're here today and God wants you saved. Amen. You can be born again right here, right now, today. I said, what, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. And then you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. We repent and we're saved and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're already baptized with the Holy Spirit, ask God for a fresh and greater outpouring of His Spirit in your life. When was the last time you said, God, I just want to experience more of you in my life. I want to walk in a greater measure. I don't want to be content. I just want to, I don't want to become old, stale bread. I want to remain living bread. Amen? Living alive with the life of God. Come on. And then thirdly, if you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit, ask and you shall receive. Jesus said in Luke 11, which of you? 
deemed evil. If your son asks you for a fish or, or for bread, would you give him a serpent or a stone? No. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. This is what we're going to do. This is Pentecost Sunday. Amen. So we're just going to be Pentecostal. Amen. Let me just say, you don't have to be ashamed of the Holy Spirit. You do not have to be ashamed of the Holy Spirit. Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Listen to what he said. It is the power of God unto salvation. And, and, and let me just help you. A lot of people, because they don't understand God and they want to operate with God within the confines of their mind. They want to keep God working within their understanding. I'll tell you. To the natural man, tongues doesn't make any sense. <coughs> but to the spiritual man, it makes great sense. And so people don't want to do anything that they think makes him look foolish. I'm kind of like this. If you're shrinking God, that's not very smart to begin with. Amen? But praying in the Spirit. Let me ask you that. When we pray, where's our prayer directed to? To God. When we're praising, when, when you're worshiping. Are you just singing along with the band? Who are you singing to? God. And so singing, praising, praying, everything is directed vertically towards God. And when, when anything is directed towards God, it has nothing to do with people on the horizontal. Amen? But if I'm speaking, that's why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14. If I come to you, if I go to Jay and start talking to Jay and just begin praying in the Spirit, he can go, what are you doing? He says, I don't, I don't know that. I don't understand that. I can't, I can't do anything with that. But if Jay and I come together and we're just praying, we both begin praying in the Spirit. I don't have to interpret, but if I come to you, I have to speak with understanding so that you can receive. So anytime anything is directed towards God, it's between you and God. People say, well, in church, nobody should speak in tongues in church unless it's interpreted. I said, we'll interpret it when we're talking to you in tongues. But when we're talking to God by the Spirit, it's none of your business. Quit being a busybody. Why do you need to know what I'm praying? I'm talking to God. It's none of your business. Amen. And so, but we've used that and people, the first argument that they'd be up, if you're going to speak in tongues, there must be an interpreter. Yes, if we're talking to you. Amen. So what I'm saying, don't be ashamed of praying in the Spirit. Don't be intimidated. Don't be ashamed of the Holy Spirit. And don't be afraid to pray in the Spirit. Maybe you're here today. I'm just asking you this. If you're hungry for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God, if you want more, just come up here and join me this morning. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, come up here and join me this morning. God's going to fill you right now, right here. It's His promises to every person. If you're saved, you can be filled. If you want more, you can have more. You can have all of God you want. God's not stingy. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. You shall seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with your whole heart. The asking, the seeking, and the knocking going after God and just ask God, God, give me some more. Lord, I want more. I want to know you more. I'm pressing in. We sing songs. I want to go deeper. Years ago, there was a group song and, and I like it says, I want to go deeper, deeper than I've ever been before. I want to know you in a greater measure. I want to press into you in a greater measure. Hallelujah.
This is what I want everybody to do. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you today. You are a God of promise. And you keep your promises. And today, I thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit in my life. Jesus, you are my baptizer. John said you would baptize me with the Holy Ghost and with fire. I ask you today for a fresh baptism, for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in my life. Holy Spirit, fill me fresh and anew. Now today, I believe and I receive in Jesus' name. Now just raise your hand and just begin worshiping right there and just begin praying in the Spirit.